All right, so how many of you guys are wondering whose phone number that is on the phone? Uh, I know we had a couple of the band guys earlier try and call it. Uh, so, uh, hey, we're starting this series um, called Reception. And this idea of what we're talking about is... Um, is how to hear God's voice. Um, and what does it mean to hear God's voice? And, and this is something that, depending on what your background is, it might feel really bizarre to talk about. Um, but we've all had these experiences where um, we aren't hearing or we're not seeing what everyone else is hearing or seeing. Um, we find ourselves in a, a kind of like a fish out of water situation where everybody else might feel totally normal and comfortable, and yet we find ourselves in this kind of place of like, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I remember uh, growing up, I played football. I played every sport once um, because I wasn't very good at them. Uh, and then I played soccer for like eight years. I found the one that I was okay at. So uh, I played football for one season. I, I was probably 11 or 12 years old. And uh, I grew up in the South. I grew up in North Carolina, and, uh, which is the South. I know it involves the name North, but trust me, it's South. Uh, and so, uh, but football in the South is kind of, that's, that's everything. You know, sports, uh, and especially football, it's a really, really big deal. And so uh, I get out there. I'm young. I just want to play. It's a community team. It's just like a, a rec team. And so, um, so I was excited to get out there and play, get my jersey on. I don't know what I'm doing, but I know I, like, look good. I've got, you know, the helmet and the teeth guard and mouth guard, whatever. See, I don't know anything about sports. So, uh, so I'm out there, and I remember the first game we get there, and I get called up, and the coach sends me in. I'm like, all right, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to see what's going to happen, uh, just playing this game with all these friends, and we're going to have a good time, and we huddle up, and they start calling out these, like, play names that apparently there was some playbook that everybody had been studying or was just aware of that I had no clue what was happening. So I'm in there, and I'm like, all right, guys, what are we going to do? And they just start saying things like, Blue Rodeo 39 McRib Sandwich. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. I have no idea what's going on. So we go, we line up. Uh, we line up on the, um, on the field. And uh, I'm stressing out because everybody else clapped their hands. And they were like, oh, we totally know what's going on. And I'm lining up and I'm just like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, am I going to do that? I don't want to look like a foolish. I don't, you know, I want to make sure I do the right thing. I want to make the play. And this is my first time out here on the field. And, and before I know it, I'm still racking my brain thinking all these thoughts and the play started. And I'm just standing there like this as everybody's doing their thing. I had no idea what was going on. This happens for a lot of us in different ways. Uh, I've traveled to other countries uh, where they speak actual different languages, so a literal different language, and you find yourself in a place where you're, you're doing your best to navigate, to find your way around, uh, but it can be incredibly difficult. Uh, sometimes this happens even with things like going to um, an art museum. Um, you're looking at a painting that looks like splatters on canvas, but somebody else gets this whole entire different meaning from it, and it speaks to them. And you're like, yeah, it doesn't say anything to me. Like, this is just, it's nothing. Um, coffee tastings. I worked at Starbucks for a couple of years, as every good college student should. Uh, and you have to fill out these coffee tasting books, and you have to describe what the coffee tastes like. And it's got hints of burnt dirt and like whatever it is. And there's like this whole language that goes along with this type of stuff. We've all had these types of experiences where other people are hearing or seeing or experiencing things that we just don't get. We don't resonate with. I remember there was uh, this one other moment 
um, that I was thinking about as we kind of get in here, I was able to go to two different escape rooms over the last like six months. I've never done an escape room before. If you guys don't know what it is, basically you get put in a room uh, with a group of people and there's clues and you have to solve these clues and whether it's a a mystery or or, uh, the one that we did was like an art heist type of situation. Somebody stole the Mona Lisa and we had to solve and figure out how to get out of the room. So you have to work together to find these clues and each clue gives you a key and you continue until you escape the room. Um, and so what happened is we're in this room and, and there's stuff everywhere. So it's all art themed. So there's like paintings and pictures and, and there's paintbrushes and paint cans. And, and you, when you get in the room, it's just full of stuff. And so you're looking around, and you're like, how am I supposed to figure out what's a clue and what's just here? And so you're looking around and, and we were in there for probably about 25, 30 minutes uh, and there was eight of us in there, and we're trying to figure out what is a clue and what's not a clue. And so there's like cans of paint on the wall, and each can is a different color. And so we're like, maybe we have to put together like the letter from the color paint and spell out a word. And so we're, we're working through all these different types of things, and we're in there for probably like 10 minutes, and we're frustrated we can't get anywhere. And then finally one person in our group's like, wait, didn't they say that you could ask for a hint? And we're like, oh yeah. So we walk over, and there's a red button on the wall that you can push. And then the employee's like, look under the painting. And it's just like, oh, it was that easy. Uh, And so all of a sudden now, we're trying, we're racking our brains, we're trying to understand, but every time we get to a place where we can't figure it out, where we can't put two and two together, we can't solve the clue, we just push the button and we get the clue. We get the information. They just tell us what the next step is. I know that I can't be the only one that wishes that I had that type of button in my life to where it's like we're looking at uh, our family, we're looking at work challenges, we're looking at uh, spiritual uh, challenges, realities, things like that, Um, friendships, um, whatever it might be. And a lot of times we find ourselves where we're trying to piece things together, we're trying to understand the best way to go forward, we're trying to understand what to do next, and we just feel like we keep hitting kind of like this roadblock, and it would be so nice just to be able to push the button and be like, just apologize, (laughs) which is usually what I have to do. Or whatever the next step is, whatever the next hint is for you, whether it's in friendships, family, business, things spiritually, whatever it might be, we're trying to understand, decide, figure out. We want guidance. We're looking for answers. We want clarity. We all want this type of button that we can push and get a hint, get clarity, get information. So we're in this series called reception. We're talking about this idea of listening to God's voice or hearing what God has to say. And that's one of these things that depending on the type of church or the type of family that you grew up in, that might mean very different things. Some of you, when you see, you know, you think about God speaking to you, you picture like this booming kind of Charlton Heston, like thus saith the Lord, you know, this, this booming voice. Some of you guys imagine or you assume that there has to be an actual flaming bush. Some of you guys feel like maybe God speaks through people or through circumstances uh, and, and many of these things are, are true. God does speak in a lot of different ways, but this idea of hearing God's voice, of, of getting guidance, of asking him for wisdom or clarity is one of these things that can be really difficult for a lot of us to overcome this concept because we want wisdom, we want confidence in the choices and the decisions that we're making, but many of us aren't sure if God is actually speaking. Some of us, we think that if he is speaking, then he's probably not speaking to me. 
But if he is speaking to me, then it's probably not going to actually be that helpful for my everyday life because it's all just old stuff in this old book that has nothing to do with the challenges that I'm facing today. But there's this reality that I want us to hold on to as we kick off this series and talk today and then over the next few weeks of this truth. And I think it's so important for us to hold on to this, this one truth and make sure we set this straight today that, that whatever your understanding is, whatever comes to mind when you hear this idea of how to hear God's voice or how to get wisdom or guidance or how God speaks to us, whatever comes to your mind, what I want you to hold on to is this, this primary truth that you and I have a heavenly father that loves us and wants to communicate with us. And oftentimes we get that part mixed up. We feel like that part isn't true. And then it causes more problems and more challenges down the road. And so today I want to talk about this idea of, uh, of, of God does want to speak to us. God is speaking to us. This is how God has always been. And for us to believe this wholeheartedly. There's a passage in Proverbs, which actually is uh, known as, people talk about this book of Proverbs as the book of wisdom. And there's a passage in Proverbs that I feel like um, is really kind of a great starting place for us today. It says, tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. And many of us are like, yeah, I've got that part down. Crying out for insight? Yes, every day. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. And then it goes on and it says, for the Lord, for God, grants wisdom. He gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He's a shield. Before we move on, I want to look at these again because these are the things that we want. We want guidance. We want wisdom. We want understanding. Some of us need just common sense. Like that would be a great starting point. If I could just have a little bit of common sense, then I might not get myself in these situations as much. It says God grants this. He's a shield to those who walk with integrity. And the next slide says, then you will understand what is right just and fair. You will find the right way to go. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. And so while this isn't like a red button that you can push and just get the next step, the next answer, the, next, you know, the, the easy solution to the problem, there's a reality that God wants to guide us. God wants to and is speaking to us and we aren't on our own. We don't have to figure it out on our own. When we come up against a situation where we're looking for answers or clarity. So we're in this series. I want to spend uh, the rest of our time today um, just looking at a couple ideas, again, to set us up for the rest of this series. And we're going to start off in the book of Genesis in the very, very beginning, Genesis chapter one, because I want to show that God wants to speak with us. God has been speaking for thousands of years, and that hasn't changed. It's still the way that it is today. So in Genesis chapter one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, and it goes on. 
and talks about how he created. But over the next couple chapters, it says this uh, 10 or 15 times, then God said. So since the beginning, God has been speaking. God didn't sit back in like an easy chair and just watch all of it happen. God has been speaking and creating and shaping and giving purpose since the beginning. And after God creates the heavens and the earth and he goes in and he he creates the animals and the fish and, and the birds and all these different types of things, then it talks about how God creates man and woman and he speaks to them and he gives them guidance. He tells them what their role is in creation. So they show up and he tells them, hey, here's what I would like you to do. I would like you to name the animals. I would like you to care for creation. He speaks to them. But God's voice isn't the only voice. As many of us are familiar with the story, it goes on. And God tells Adam and Eve, and he, he, he says to them, hey, you can, you can have food and fruit from any tree in the Garden of Eden, any tree in this garden except for one. This is the one that I don't want you to eat from. But any other tree... He's given them everything they could possibly want. They live in paradise, um, in perfect community with God. He's given them everything they could possibly want. Just says, just this one thing I would ask you not to do. And we're familiar with how this goes on. And the story in Genesis talks about a snake who represents Satan or evil. Uh, It says this in Genesis chapter 3. It says, one day he, the snake, asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Which is not even close to what God said. God said you can have the fruit from any of the trees in the garden except for one. But the snake comes and and before anybody gets on kind of down the road about this idea that he went for the woman, later on it says that Adam was right beside her. So he was complicit. Uh, But there's this aspect where, does God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? He, He doesn't tell Adam and Eve, hey, you should kill people. He doesn't say, hey, you should destroy things. He doesn't say, hey, you should be unfaithful to each other. You should be hateful people. You should, he doesn't say any of these types of things. He just twists the truth. He says, does God really say that you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Just to, just to put a little bit of distrust in there. Just a sense of twisting the truth. And there's two different types of interferences. We talk about this idea of reception and cell phones and all this kind of stuff. There's two different types of interference that I want to talk about today that can happen when it comes to us hearing God's voice, getting understanding from God, uh, hearing what he wants us to do. The first type of interference is active interference. The enemy is intentionally twisting the truth. There's this aspect for us that when we're living our lives, when we're trying to understand the decisions that we need to make, when we're trying to understand uh, or get clarity or, or figure out how to work on our relationships or whatever it might be, that the challenges that we're facing are like, God, please help me in this situation. We say this all the time. God, please help me. God, help me understand. Help me know. Help me respond. Help me, give me the strength, whatever it is. As we're praying and as we're asking for God to speak to us, there is active interference because the enemy is intentionally twisting the truth of the way that God views us, the way that God cares about us, the way that God wants to guide us. 
when he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? What he was really saying is, is God really giving you everything that you need? Do you think that he actually cares for you? Do you think that he will really provide for you? And he starts just to twist this little bit of skepticism in there. There's active interference because the enemy wants to bring as much darkness and confusion and disarray as possible in our lives. I don't, I don't know that he's trying to get us to totally fly off the handle as much as he's just trying to get us to confuse the truth. I think he's okay with this. But if he can get us just to twist the truth, just to, I'm not totally sure if God cares. I'm not totally sure that he's good. I'm not totally sure that he's listening. So Adam and Eve, they eat this fruit from this tree. They break the one law that God had given them. And in Genesis 3 verse 8, it says this. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, which is such a beautiful tropical picture. Uh, when the cool evening breezes are blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees because they knew they had done something wrong. They were ashamed. And in verse 9, it says, then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Which is I have to assume a little bit like for those of us that have played hide and go seek with our children, that they think they have the best hiding place in the world, but you can see their feet like under the curtain. It's like this really kind of like mediocre attempt at not being found. And you're like, where are you? Is it this giggling mass under the blankets? You know, I mean, it's just like, so God is walking through the garden and he's calling out for Adam and Eve. I think he knows where they are, but he's saying, where are you? He's inviting them. He's talking with them. He's asking them to stay in communication with him, even though... He knows what they've done. Even though he knows that they feel shame. Even though he knows that he asked them to do or to not do one thing and that's the one thing that they did, he's still pursuing them. He's still asking for them. Where are you? God is speaking and searching, looking. And I think for many of us, we think that our mistakes, we think that our past we think the decisions that we've made, what's happened in our marriage or our family, our skills or our gifts or whatever it might be, we think that these things keep God from pursuing us, from loving us, from wanting to speak to us. And we talk about this a lot here because this is a, a, this is a reality. This is something that I struggle with often in my own life. I feel like if there's a couple days for me where I feel like I don't pray or if I'm not reading my Bible as much as I think that I should be, that I feel like God is now upset with me. I struggle with this too. I know that this is something that we all deal with of this, this sense of, of guilt or shame and that's the enemy who's twisting and saying, because you haven't done your part, God probably isn't gonna do his. He's probably not going to love you or give you the help that you're asking for. This is why Paul in the New Testament, he wrote that there is nothing, there's neither death or life, there's no powers or principalities, there's nothing in heaven, there's nothing on earth. He goes on on this list of covering every possible thing. He says, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. 
There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. And he goes over this exhaustive list because we still find things to think that separate us from the love of Christ. We still find ways to believe that God probably doesn't want to speak to me. But God, since the beginning, is pursuing a relationship with us, speaking and guiding To combat active interference, we have to invest in our relationship with God. So this idea of a relationship, and you guys know this, relationships, um, they might just kind of happen naturally in the beginning, but to keep a relationship healthy, you have to continue working on it and focusing on it. Uh, You can't just set it on cruise control and think that it'll just get better from here. Uh, You have to continue pouring into it. And and if you guys are married or if you're in family relationships or, or really any type of relationship, you have to, you have to feed into it and prioritize it in different ways. I've experienced this a little bit, um, well, a lot of bit, uh, in uh, my marriage, but especially with kids, because kids um, need a lot, apparently. I was unaware of this. I was kidding. Uh, there's, there's requests, and there's needs, and there's like, I bumped my head, and I cut off my finger, or whatever it is. There's like, that hasn't happened. But there's all these things that kids require attention, and, and they need, and they're hungry, and they want attention, and cuddles, and, and they want to go play, and, and whatever it might be. And if you're not intentional, if I'm not intentional, it could take every last ounce of time and energy from me. And so I have to be intentional and decide and choose to then at times focus on my relationship with my wife because otherwise it's all going to just naturally get taken by the, the biggest need, the biggest request, the biggest challenge, the fire that needs immediate attention. And so I don't do this right all the time and I'm very happy to admit that, but it's why we have to be intentional about my wife and I going out on date nights and spending time together and having conversations, even when we're exhausted and we'd rather just go to bed or whatever it is, we have to be intentional about this because it has to be prioritized. I have to invest in this relationship. And I say all that because the same is true in a relationship with God. If you guys have a relationship with God, if you are following Jesus, it's not going to naturally stay healthy. It's not going to just automatically be good all the time. You have to invest in this relationship just like any other relationship. To combat the interference, we have to invest in a relationship with God. So God speaks in the beginning. God continues speaking for generations. He speaks to Abraham. He speaks to Moses. He speaks to David. All throughout the Old Testament, one of the things that sets God apart is his uh, consistent interest in showing up and speaking to people, always pursuing this relationship. Ultimately, Jesus comes in the Gospels. Jesus is born and shows up in the flesh to have a physical, personal relationship with us. And Jesus comes and he's not introducing a new idea. He's reintroducing the original idea of what happened in the garden. That God wants a relationship with us. God wants to walk with us. He wants to know what is going on in our lives. He wants to have conversations. And ultimately what Jesus found, what was happening at the time, is that the relationship had been replaced by rules and regulations and religion. And and this was the way that we understood that we had good standing. And if you check the boxes, then you were in a good spot. But if not, 
you were in a really bad spot. And it had gotten to this point where if you didn't do the right things at the right time in the right ways, you couldn't even go to worship at the temple. You weren't even allowed in. And so there was this very real sense that if I don't do the right things, I can't be in a relationship with God. And Jesus shows up and consistently over and over again says, no, I love you and I am pursuing a relationship with you. And he invites people to change and he, he tells people to change their ways, but he, he sees their value and he loves them as they are and continues loving them and pursuing a relationship with them. And it goes on in John chapter 10, Jesus is talking, and this is a largely agrarian kind of community. There's a lot of uh, agriculture and livestock and things like this. And so Jesus is talking uh, to people that would understand this type of language. And he says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold and I have to bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. And then he says in verse 27, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And for us, this is maybe... I don't know when the last time you guys checked on your herd of sheep. Uh, so this might not be like the everyday, like, yeah, I totally get what Jesus is saying. That totally makes sense. But the reality is that uh, in this time, and even still today, sheep do two things really well. They're fairly known as not the smartest animals. There's two things they do really well. They eat and they follow. And shepherds were critically important at that time because they had to make sure that they led the sheep where they needed to go to be able to have the food that they needed, to be able to get to the green pastures. And, and the sheep knew that they could tell, just like when your dog tell, can tell when your engine, they hear it pulling up to your house or your apartment or whatever it is. My kids are the same way. I don't have a dog, but my kid hears when my car comes down our back alley and he's waiting at the door and shrieks as loud as he can. Daddy! As soon as I open the door and it's awesome and deafening and everything at once. Sheep are the same way. They, they knew the shepherd's voice. They understood it. They, could, they had a relationship with him and they knew that they had to follow the shepherd in order to survive, to get what they needed, to be healthy, to eat, to be cared for in different ways. Jesus' audience, when he said this, they would have totally understood what he was saying. When he said, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them and they follow me. Because a shepherd knew the individual sheep and he spoke to them and they followed his voice and they recognized his voice. They would have understood this idea that their survival is dependent on listening for the shepherd's voice, for his guidance, for his direction. So there's active interference where the enemy is twisting truths and, and specifically trying to get in the way of us having a relationship and a conversation with God. And then there's passive interference. And this is something that uh, we look at and the world offers a different and seemingly easier way. The world offers just a, an easier way of living a lot of times than what God has invited us to, than the way that God has invited us to live our lives and, and be in relationship with people. In Romans chapter 12, uh, it says this. It says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. 
Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you. He develops well-formed maturity in you. This is a message paraphrase. It's just a different way of reading this verse, but he's saying, don't be so well-adjusted to the culture, to the world around you, because it's like gravity. It'll constantly pull you down to its way of living, to its way of interacting with people, to its way of treating your neighbors, to its way of treating your enemies. Don't become so comfortable that you just live the way that everybody else lives. Focus your attention on God and he'll transform us from the inside out. There's this aspect of us that the world around us lives a a seemingly easier way, but we're being invited to a different way. Sometimes it's difficult for us to hear what God is saying because it feels like a tiny whisper in the midst of a screaming world or a screaming culture. I read a book a couple years ago, um, and it was the first time that I heard this term, um, this term, the upside down kingdom. And now if you watch like Stranger Things, there's like the upside down everything. Uh, and so there's, there's all types of different upside downs now, but there's this idea of the upside down kingdom. And, and it talks about this idea that the way that we, uh, the, the first century uh, church um, expected their savior, their Messiah to show up, was powerfully uh, on a horse with an army to overthrow the government, to save them. And instead, Jesus came as a baby born to a, a teenage mother in a stable. And there's this aspect of, that's not what I expect, that's not how I expected this to go. This is a very different Messiah experience. And it continued on as Jesus grew up and as Jesus began to teach. He taught things that were so upside down and and backwards from what the world and kind of culture at the time assumed it would be. And so there's a few of these things I just kind of want to touch on briefly, and I'll explain why. The first one is that there's a contrast of power in this upside down kingdom. And the world around us and culture around us is kind of believes in this survival of the fittest type of idea. Uh, You know, you want to make sure you get as much power as possible and you want to have power over people and power over situations and power. But Jesus taught, no, it's about having power under. It's about serving. Whoever wants to be great must be the least. If you want to be a leader, you must be a servant. He talked about a contrast of goals. The world talks about this idea of preserving or advancing our self-interests or carrying out God's will, um, or I'm sorry, preserving or advancing self-interest, but God is inviting us to, and Jesus is inviting us to be able to lay down our lives, lay down our preferences to serve others. He talks about a contrast of membership in this upside-down kingdom. The world and the culture around us is focused on exclusivity of of kind of this idea of clubs and, and this tribal mentality of, should you be allowed to be included in my circle? Uh, are you smart enough? Do you have enough power? What's your education level? Whatever it is. And Jesus is saying, no, it's inclusive. Even the outcasts, the people that are left out on the fringes, those are the ones specifically I want to invite them in. The contrast of responses. The world around us says an eye for an eye, but Jesus invites us to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies. The world says, forgive people who deserve it. And Jesus says, no, 
forgive people because you've been forgiven. So this upside down kingdom is a totally different way to live. And the reality of this passive interference of the way that the world operates, what Paul wrote in his letter of, of don't become comfortable and just do things the way the world around you does them because that's not what Jesus is inviting us to. But it becomes difficult to live a different way. I told this story in the, um, earlier on. Uh, my son is in the first grade. And uh, in kindergarten, he thought that mom and dad were still really cool, and he tried his best to do everything that we said. And if we said, don't do this, don't do that, he would do his best to not do those things. But in first grade, there's like a lot of other stuff going on in school and things like that. And so one of the things that we've realized is that the funniest word in the first grade is but. Uh, and so everybody in that class uses that word as much as they can. And so he, it's just, it's funny at the lunch table. It's funny in the desks. It's funny. Like that's like the currency of the first grade. And so mom and dad at home are like, Hey buddy, like you don't have to use that word all the time, but we're fighting this uphill battle because the room that he sits in full of 30 other kids, the lunch tables that he sits at, this is like, no, that is funny. And so we're trying to be like, hey, like maybe that's not always the right place to use it. Like maybe don't use it when you're preaching on stage at church or whatever, things like that. Uh, but there's this uphill battle. There's this gravity that's pulling him towards because the group around him says, no, this is, this is what works. And obviously that changes and that grows in time. And, and we understand the effects of that over time. But there's this invitation of Jesus to live a different way. And the world around us doesn't get it, and it's a passive interference. It's not actively working against us, but it's just drawing us towards living an easier quote-unquote way, just letting the easy things happen. But God is calling us to live a different way. There will always be a passive interference to hearing Jesus because the world operates in a different way. So there's this aspect that I think is important for us before we get into some really practical things over the next couple weeks. So there's this aspect of understanding, man, God has been speaking since the beginning. He's been speaking creation and purpose and life. He's been speaking to people. He's been coming down and in, in, in relationship with people. And we talk about all the time how the people he chooses to use are oftentimes some of the most broken people. So God wants to speak and is speaking to us. He wants to give wisdom and guidance, like it says in Proverbs. And so primarily we need to understand, we need to believe this is true, that God does want to speak to us. And secondarily, we need to understand that there is interference happening. The enemy wants to twist the truth and twist the lies, and the world around us isn't going to make it easier. And so as we move into the rest of the series and look at really practical ways how to hear God, what does it look like to understand what his desire is for our lives? How can he speak to us? We have to get this right first. So if you guys will bow your heads, I'd love to pray for us. Heavenly Father, there's an aspect, uh, like I said earlier, even for myself, that can become difficult to believe that you truly love me. That you are 
proud of who I am, that you choose to be in a relationship with me. Um, when I make decisions or I, I feel like things kind of get loose in the turns or if I miss a few days of, of reading or, or whatever it might be, this, there's this aspect that starts to spin in my mind that because I've not done my part, it lessens your desire to be in a relationship with me, to speak to me. And God, I know that that's not true. And, and so this morning, I want to just speak against that. And if there's anybody in here that feels that way, God, I pray that you would, you would reaffirm your love for them. Just as Paul said, that there is nothing that can get in the way of your love for us. And so God, I ask that you would seal that in our hearts that we would truly believe that you're not a distant God, uh, that you are not a God that's out of touch with our life, our, our struggles, our challenges, the, the, the things that we're facing, but that you are here, that you are present, and that you want to guide us, that you are speaking to us. And so for any of us that might be um, believing these different types of lies, that the enemy is throwing at us, God, would you give us the courage to call those what they are, call those um, untrue, call those lies, and remind ourselves through your word the way that you see us, that we have value, that we are loved, that you want to know us, that you want to guide us. God, would you give us the courage to live our lives following you, following a different way that might be different than the culture around us? God, we believe that you're speaking to us. We want to hear your voice. We want your wisdom, your guidance, and your direction. Help us to hear you, God. In Jesus' name.